Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Would anybody like a Bible before we begin? Anybody need one? Got one you can borrow? We probably got one you can have, and of course, I think all the scriptures will be up on the screen to help you follow along, but as and keep stressing that. Uh, it's really helpful to have a Bible with you, at least an uh, electronic version, if not the paper version. I'm going to, uh, I said something last week that uh, I really feel God wouldn't let me get away from, and this is going to be a little bit of a long introduction, but um, if you pay attention to my whole sermon, in general, I'm not talking about just today, uh, if you pay close attention, you probably have noticed that quite often I say something like, uh, we'll talk more about this next week, or we might talk more about this next week. Anybody familiar with that little phrase popping up? (laughs) And what will happen is, it's almost always because of something I say in the middle of my message that's not in my notes. I do not write my whole message out, even though I've got several pages of notes. um, It's not, I never preach my message verbatim from the notes. There's always stuff that comes up. I believe it's the Holy Spirit laying these things on my heart, and, or you can call them rabbit trails or whatever, but they're little things that, that, that pop up, or it's just a thought development that I know I don't need in my notes. Uh, I got a little more tied to my notes during COVID when I felt like I had to write things out a little more since every, we were just beginning to live stream and record messages, and I wanted them to be clean and make sure I didn't say anything stupid. Uh, but that's my style, is I'll, I'll follow the notes, but kind of go off the cuff every now and then. And what will happen then is, because I'm saying something that wasn't in my notes, and I want to get back to my notes, I'll say, maybe we'll talk more about that next week, or I'll fill you in on more of that next week. And then you know what happens? I just forget. Uh, and I think a lot of you do too, which is great. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not a lie unless I intentionally mislead you. Um, And here's the other thing. I rarely, very, very rarely listen to my messages. Uh, There's there's nothing wrong with that. Doing that is not a bad thing. In fact, uh, I I used to do it. They told us at Raymond it was a good idea. It's good to critique yourself and listen to your messages because that's the only way you can know that you're saying, um, too much or, you know, notice little ticks and... uh, now, since I haven't, I generally don't listen to my messages. I probably just have got some things that are entrenched, and you can make fun of me behind my back. Just don't do it to my face. Um, but I did, especially early on. Got out of the habit. Um, part of that's just increased comfort or confidence in, in doing the sermons, and part of it's just laziness. But once in a blue moon, I will listen to it while I'm doing chores. Um, a lot of, I spend a lot of time on a lawnmower, and I'll listen to podcasts. And if I don't actively choose another podcast when that one's done, a random one will come up. And sometimes it's me, and I don't stop and, and change it. Or if I'm in the kitchen, I'm the one that makes the biggest messes in the kitchen, so I'm the one who spends most of the time cleaning it up. And it's a good time for me to plug in a podcast and listen to it. And uh, maybe I was halfway through one, so I'll finish listening to that, and then I've got my hands all wet in the sink, and then I'll come up, and I'll just let it play. Well, might as well listen to this. Rarely happens. But then Beth will come into the kitchen on her way to the craft room or something and say, uh, who are you listening to? And I'll say, I'm listening to my favorite preacher. 
So every now and then, I will hear something where I said, I'll talk more about this next week. And I'll go, ooh, and I never did. I, 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 didn't, I didn't talk about that the next week. Um, this whole last week, and this is extraordinarily unusual, because I didn't listen to my sermon um, in, in one of those circumstances. I had to go back and actually look for one part of it because I knew I had said something that not only did I say, we'll talk about that next week, but I said, um, so if you're interested in that, make your reservations or something like that to be here this week. Now, I don't know if that stuck with anybody. Uh, I don't know if it mattered to anybody, and I couldn't even remember what it was I had said, so I had to go back and look at my message and look for when I said that and then go back and see what it was I said. It didn't strike me as earth-shatteringly important, but I just kept thinking, I've got I've to go back and talk about that. I've got to go back and talk about that, and it's nothing brand new either, but I think I'm supposed to talk about it. Uh, because, again, super rare circumstance. In this case, God wouldn't let me forget that I said that. I guess the question is, why would God ever let me to forget that I said something like that? And I choose to conclude, and I would love to hear from you if the truth is otherwise, that you don't need to go back to that, Scott. I think God is telling me, you don't, you're in the middle of a series, keep on with that series, or there's something more important to talk about. Maybe the time's not right, or maybe just because. But I don't think I have ever heard from any of you uh, something like, hey, you said you were going to talk about this next week, and you didn't. Maybe you're being kind, or maybe God made you forget, or allowed you to forget, too. And uh, Nicole Irvin is probably the exception to that rule, because she remembers everything and loves holding my feet to the fire on statements like that. But now, I've spent all this valuable time justifying my sermon, so I'd love to know if anybody even knows what I was talking about, but what it was, was this. We were talking about how some people take the idea of God's omnipresence too far. You know, it's one thing to say God is in the mountains, God is in the trees, God is in nature, um, God is in our emotions. Uh, but certainly the Bible does clearly tell us that God is everywhere. But what it's saying is he's everywhere in the sense that we cannot hide from him. We can't escape his attention. There was a silly kind of a crass little joke we used to say in grade school, or some people did anyway. If God is everywhere, is he in the toilet? Stupid questions like that. But here's what the Bible says. This is one of the best passages on the omnipresence of God in Psalm 139, and you can open there or you can follow along. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall, shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be a light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Now, 
the message of this psalm is clearly not that light and dark are the same thing. That heaven and hell are the same thing. It's that we can't hide from God in darkness or in hell. We can't escape, again, his awareness of us, his attention to us. You know, Jonah, one of my favorite books in the Bible, tells us that when Jonah got word from the Lord to preach to Nineveh, a godless city, that he tried to flee. He didn't want to. Um, and, and if you're unfamiliar with the story, uh, I apologize. I, I don't have time to tell that story today, but I encourage you to go read it. Or maybe you're kind of familiar with it. That's one of those fun ones. It's, it's a, you can read the whole book in 15 or 20 minutes, just a few chapters. Uh, but he tried. He didn't want to preach. He was very confident. He thought, man, if I preach, these guys might actually believe and get saved. I don't want that happening because he hated the Ninevites. So he left. He got on a boat going the other way, tried to flee from the presence of God. And this was a prophet of God. How can that be? Didn't he know better? Jonah's a whole other sermon. I just might preach that next week. Just kidding. You never know. But, but can I throw something out while I'm thinking about it? The Ninevites, as most of you know, when Jonah preached, said he crisscrossed the city saying, yet 40 days and this city will be overthrown. And the result was that the whole city repented. They fasted. They turned from their wicked ways. And God spared them the judgment that their sin was crying out for. Because the Ninevites were ignorant. They were ignorant of the word of God. They were responsive when they heard the word of God. Versus Sodom. They were in willful rebellion against God and his revealed will. Now, when we talk about, for instance, the sins of our nation or the sins of any nation, it's tempting and easy to say that uh, or conclude that we're getting more and more like Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the big picture, I kind of agree. But most of us are not. You know, we're all, remember, this was a series we did several months ago. Every Christian is a minister, right? You have a ministry. You, have, you, you are called to interact with people and share your faith, live the gospel, preach the gospel. That's for everybody. Uh, but most of us are not ministering to the nation as a whole. We are dealing with individuals who might be in willful disobedience and sin, but more than likely are ignorant. Even some so-called Christians are ignorant of the word of God. And we need to remember that most of the people, you and I anyway, are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. Again, I know there are whole pockets and swaths of people there who are thumbing their nose at God, Romans 1. But most of the people we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis are Ninevites, not Sodomites. Okay? So don't write them off. Approach them, only don't, don't, be like, don't be like Jonah and run from God, but be like Jonah and obey him and share the gospel. Some people will be much more responsive than you think. So anyway, uh, be led. Use your head. Did I say I might share something about that next week? Did I promise? No. What I was talking about was that these verses about God being everywhere specifically refer to our inability to escape his awareness and attention. We can't hide from him. There's another, uh, here's a little, not a little, it's a small part of a very long poem. I, I have shared a numerous times a poem by Francis Thompson called uh, In No Strange Land 
of, or, or the kingdom of God. It's got an alternate title. I'm not sharing that one today. It's probably my favorite poem in the whole world. But his most famous poem is one called The Hound of Heaven. Anybody heard of it? Even if you don't know the poem, have you heard of The Hound of Heaven? This is Francis Thompson. Uh, and here's what he wrote. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him and under running laughter. Up visted hopes I sped and shot precipitated down titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace. Speaking those strong feet, this is God. He could hear him, he's running, and yet God is not desperately after him. He's just calmly walking in his direction, knows he's going to catch him. Deliberate speed, majestic instancy. They beat, and a voice beat more instant than defeat. All things betray thee who betrayest me. And this poem has a happy ending. But he talks in this poem about, I didn't have anything against God. I was just afraid that once I had him, I couldn't have anything else. Without realizing that if he had Christ, he didn't need anything else. That in Christ, all of his needs and desires were met. I want to be all things to all people. I know not poetry is everybody's bag, and maybe if you like poetry, you maybe don't like Francis Thompson. I just wanted to share it because it wonderfully illustrates the author's inability to run or hide from God. But what I really want to talk about, especially as it relates to what I said last week, is what I've certainly talked about before. It's not unrelated to what I just talked about in terms of is God in everything, because that was kind of the issue, and that was the question I asked last week. He is everywhere, but he is not in everything. I'll tell you what I mean. He's not behind everything. He does not cause or ordain everything. I will get to some more scripture here in a minute. Before I do, I'm going to read a passage that I've read at least twice before in the last few years from Mere Christianity. This is C.S. Lewis writing about this in the context he was talking about uh, the pantheistic perspective, the multi-gods, that there's truth in all religions, etc., 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 and uh, even, even New Agey religions. And here's what he writes. The Christian idea is quite different. They think God made the universe, like a man making a picture or composing a tune. A painter isn't a picture, and he doesn't die if his picture is destroyed. You may say, he's put a lot of himself into it, but that only means that all its beauty and interest has come out of his head. His skill isn't in the picture in the same way that it's in his head or even in his hands. I expect you see how the difference between pantheists and Christians hangs together with the other one. If you don't take the distinction between good and bad very seriously, then it's easy to say that anything you find in this world is a part of God. But of course, if you think some things are really bad and God really good, then you can't talk like that. You must believe that God is separate from the world and that some of the things we see in it are contrary to his will. Confronted with a cancer or a slum, the pantheist can say, if you could only see it from the divine point of view, you would realize that this also is God. The Christian replies, don't talk damned nonsense. In a footnote 
to that right. Uh, you know, these, this was originally a series of radio broadcasts, and he got uh, some letters and complaints that he, uh, here's a Christian speaker, Christian leader, and he's cursing on the air. He said, I didn't mean that in a crass sense. I meant it literally. I meant it in the biblical sense that that kind of knowledge, that kind of statement is under a curse. It is damned by God, and if we cling to it and follow it to its logical conclusions, we just might wind up in hell. He continues, this is just a little bit more. For Christianity thinks God made the world, that space and time, heat and cold, and all the colors and tastes and all the animals and vegetables are things that God made out of his head as a man makes up a story. But it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with the world that God made and that God insists and insists very loudly on our putting them right again. Now, the only thing I would quibble with here is that we are called to be salt and light in a flavorless and dark world uh, and that putting it right again can really only apply to our interactions with other people ministering healing, meeting physical needs, and of course, ultimately, leading them to salvation. But I don't believe that we are going to put the world right. I believe we can make little pockets of it right. We can lead people to, to being in a right relationship with God. But Jesus is the one who's going to put the world right when he comes, when he returns, sets his foot on earth, and rules and reigns for a thousand years. And Lord, haste the day. The main thing in that quote, as far as the, this message is concerned, is that many things happen every day that are not a manifest, manifestation of God's will. They are not an expression of his will uh, or his presence. And that that truth does not impugn or threaten the sovereignty of God in the slightest. Because if you take it, you know, there are some believers, I think they're genuine believers, who take, I call them ultra-Calvinists, I don't know how accurate that is, but basically if any, anything that happens, happens because ultimately, somehow, mysteriously, inscrutably, it is God's will. And we should just accept it. I don't think that squares with the whole message of the Bible, it just doesn't make sense. Sin, the sin nature has messed humanity up so badly and it's far more than many realize, far more than most realize. Even the vast, I'd say the vast majority of people, including many millions of professing Christians, don't truly acknowledge that. Look in Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse 9. Uh, this is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, the New American Standard Bible and other translations render it more like this. The heart is deceitful more than anything and desperately sick. The good news is, down in verse 14, it says this, Hear me, o, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. It's our sin, it's our brokenness, not God's mysterious, inscrutable will that leads to so much pain and evil in the world. But God will still bring about, even though he didn't bring the evil into the world, he will still bring about healing and rescue for those who surrender to him. And let's focus for a moment anyway on healing. As Lewis points out, it's nonsense to consider that God is in cancer or any other manifestation of the fall of mankind, of the sin nature. 
we look at the doctrine of healing in the Bible, the only places we even see a hint of God bringing sickness or disease is in the context of judgment. I mean, there is a passage right there in uh, Micah, I think, where, it said, where God says, I will make you sick. Well, that's pretty scary. But he's only saying, if you don't stop doing this or if you continue doing this, I will make you sick. And he doesn't stop there. He's going to bring all... Again, it's just a reiteration of everything God spoke through Moses back in Deuteronomy. We mentioned that last week. What we have to remember as New Testament believers, as partakers of the new covenant, is that our judgment has already fallen on Jesus Christ. So he doesn't even speak that to us today. I'm going to make you sick. If, if you don't behave. Now, can we, through our sin and our uh, ignoring God's word, open ourselves up to an attack by the enemy? You better believe we can. But as far as judgment, God has already judged our sin through Jesus. In Jesus. There are many, many passages that make it clear that God is in the healing business, not in the business of making us sick. He is the one who said, I am Jehovah Rapha. I'm the God who heals you. But the most important thing to notice, I think, the slam dunk argument when it comes to God's will for healing is the ministry of Jesus. When he encountered sickness in anyone who came to him, he always, always healed them. He never stopped as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. He never stopped to consider that God was in the sickness. He never told anybody to slow their roll when they came up to him asking for healing by saying, hey, you might want to consider that God's using this to teach you something. He just healed them. And that is super important because he is the express image of the Father. He is the one who said, I don't do anything I don't see my Father doing in heaven. Now, likewise... This truth, this broader truth, applies not just to healing and sickness, but when it comes to spiritual beliefs, spiritual beliefs outside of biblical Christianity. There might indeed, as I know I mentioned last week, there might be a kernel or a grain of truth in other religions, in other holy books. I can remember uh, Mormons used to come to our house pretty frequently um, in, when we lived in Farmer City and had some good talks with them. But they were sharing with us just how great the Book of Mormon was. He said, here's, here's why. Uh, I'm, just gonna, he said, I'm gonna read you a passage and you can tell me, does it not just ring true? Doesn't it make sense? And he read a, pas a passage about how important it is for children to obey their parents and for, for there to be harmony in the household and mutual submission and yada, yada, yada. I, he said, would you agree with that? I said, yeah, I would agree with that. But I don't need the Book of Mormon to tell me that because Paul wrote the same thing to the Ephesians. It's in the Bible. So is that statement isolated in Mormonism true? It is. But you have to look at it in the context of their whole belief system. It is, I cringe, and I haven't heard anybody say this in a while, but it used to be a real popular thing to say, and I'm sure a lot of people believe it. Anymore, I think we're just becoming more and more polarized. You're either a full-on believer or full-on non-believer. There's a little less of that gray area these days. But people used to say, uh, it's, it's kind of the, an older version of speak your truth, right? Whatever's true for you. Uh, if it, whatever gets you through the night. If you believe that, then that is true for you. All religions are the same, essentially. They all, there's different details, but at the core, they're all the same. But they aren't. 
Anybody, you, anytime, like I said, I cringe when I hear people say anything like that because I just, you know, my, my mode is to be polite and to listen to them, especially if I don't know them yet. I usually don't come out on the attack. But all they've told me is, I know nothing about world religions. If you're telling me that your honest belief is that all religions are essentially the same, you've told me you don't know anything about the these, the religions you're referring to. Because there are clear contradictions. And if they contradict one another, then God can't be in all of them, can he? I mean, there's, a, there's some simple illustrations for this, and I know they're not always this simple, but you take Buddhism, and I'm not an expert on Buddhism, and there are different branches of Buddhism. Uh, but Buddhism is essentially an atheistic belief system. And they believe, one of the things that most of them believe, is that we are born with an essentially perfect nature called the Buddha nature, which is the exact opposite of what the Bible says. What's it say? It says we were conceived in sin. Those are two opposite statements. But then Buddhism turns around and says our goal in life is to, through meditation and through good deeds and through uh, all these practices, is to rid ourselves of wrong desires. Rid ourselves of the, of the desire for money or uh, anything that pollutes us or pollutes our fellow man. Well, first thing I want to ask is, if we're born with this inherently perfect nature, where do these wrong desires come from that we have to spend our lifetime shaking them off? But with Christianity saying that the heart is deceitful and desperately sick, the response is not, uh, I have to work, and not just, by the way, your whole life, but through multiple lives, be reincarnated so you can continue to work off all the bad stuff. Christianity said, what's, what's the solution for Christianity? Uh, it's, uh, you, did, you weren't born perfect and then became polluted by the world. You were born part of that same sinful system and all the sinful deeds you do are an outworking of that sinfulness. What's the solution? Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. Looks completely outside to the source of life. I know I'm all over the place this morning. I am wrapping up. No book speaks more clearly or more accurately about the human condition than the Bible does. I think I mentioned last week, I know it was recently, that I knew a, a woman down in Tulsa who had, had a nervous breakdown or something. She was in the hospital for a week or two, and she couldn't wait uh, to come to the store where I was working to tell me that she had become a believer, at least in God. I don't know if she had confessed Christ yet, but she just started reading the Bible with the wisdom literature. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes specifically, and she thought, there is no way, first of all, that a man could have written this. It's just too perfect, it's just too good, and it's just too accurate. She could see in what little she read that what the Bible said about her was more accurate than anything anybody had ever shared with her. There are universal truths about the human condition, and it tells us that our hearts are desperately wicked. We better believe it. There is a multitude of reasons to believe in the reliability 
the trustworthiness of the scriptures. And we barely talked about that. But if you will read this book, you will find that it can be understood, especially with the Holy Spirit's help. If you'll understand this book, learn this book, and learn to know God himself through this book, and know him through prayer and through fellowship, you will be amazed how quickly those doubts and questions will disappear. The question, and praise and worship team, you can be making your way up here. That wasn't too long after all, was it? Do you want to believe it? Or are you looking for reasons not to believe it? And why would anybody do that? Why would anybody? Used to, even within Christianity, I used to scratch my head at the uh, hard cessationists. Those who made a, a, at least part of their ministry, one of the, the central thrusts of their ministry, is not just to say, look, in this particular denomination, this particular church, we don't embrace the modern day activity or gifts of the Holy Spirit, but who actively preach against it. Here is why healing is not for today. Here is why tongues is not for today. I'm like, leaving aside what you are convinced is true, what do you want to be? Would you not want healing to be in operation today? Why would anybody actively try to disprove that if there were a shred of possibility that it's true? And I'm, I'm, there's way more than a shred. I'm utterly convinced it's God's will. And I still can't tell you why not everybody experiences the healing they are believing for. But the Bible's pretty clear on it. But more than that, uh, people like and my friend out in Washington, uh, why wouldn't he be desperately looking for things to believe rather than spending the, his, the remainder of his days casting aspersions on the only thing that offers him hope? And I think the only answer to that is Romans 1. We fall in love with a wicked lifestyle. And we get so accustomed to doing things that we enjoy that we would rather believe the Bible is not true. Because if it is, then we have to make some changes or admit that we are not in a good place. It's long, and they'll feel that way. And, and according to Romans 1, eventually get turned over to that kind of thinking, and they will ignore any evidence that would indicate their need for a savior as long as they are enjoying that lifestyle. But then, like my friend, that enjoyment fades. And fear of death sets in. And something rises up. Not in everyone. Not in everyone. I'm always haunted by the last days of Madeline Murray O'Hare. You know, she's the woman who's largely credited with you know, founding the Atheists of America and getting prayer kicked out of the schools. There was a lot more to that than just one woman, I promise you. But uh, when she was in the hospital dying, she supposedly had guards posted outside of her hospital room because she didn't want any Christers praying for her out there. But something rises up in many at that point in their lives, and they are seeking the assurance that they are okay, that they're okay with God. Stand up with me. And you hope they come to that realization, that point of need, of de that, that desperate awareness that I need something more than I have. 
they realize as they get toward the end of their life that there is a God that they've been actively disbelieving in for a while. Or at least they're open to it. You hope they get to that point in time to come to know Jesus. It's much better to live your life walking in the assurance of salvation than it is to roll the dice and saying, I still believe enough and I can come back to him anytime I want. I don't know how anybody gets through the day or the week or the months or the years without a solid belief in Jesus Christ. I couldn't. Things are just too crazy. Do you have that assurance? This was the thing and the only thing that makes me believe that my friend might actually be dying is that was the desperation and the tears, the sobbing. I don't know if there's anything after this. And then right after that, begins to argue his case. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I don't deserve hell. It's like, man, guess what? You don't deserve heaven either. None of us do. But God makes heaven available through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said at one point, I'll stop talking about him in a second. He said at one point, well, I don't believe that happened. There's no evidence for it. And that's when I exploded. I said, buddy, of all the idiotic things you've said in the last hour and a half, that's the most idiotic thing you have said, the most idiotic, because there are reams of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's one of the most well-attested to events in history. And again, this is a guy who spends multiplied hours every day looking at stuff when there are ready available articles, books. What, how hard would it be for him to pick up a copy of the case for Christ or the case for the resurrection? Just those two books, more than a carpenter. There's dozens, there's hundreds of them now. At least hear the other side. Something, I think something in him doesn't want to know, doesn't want to believe, but now he's so desperate because he might be close to death. There really is a heaven. There really is a hell. Do you have the assurance that when this is over, there really is something, and it's where you want to be? Where do you want to be? Do you want to spend eternity separated from the God who made you for himself? Is hell literally burning physically and in a felt fashion when we consider burning? In a lake of fire, forever, tortured? I don't know. All I can tell you is this is the way it's described in the Bible. However it specifically is, it's bad. Just like, I can't tell you for sure if the things that John saw when he described heaven in his vision were literal buildings made out of literal stones or if he was just looking at something that he couldn't describe and had to describe in human terms. What I do know is this, heaven is good. Whatever you think heaven is like, when you get there, if it's not like that, you are not going to be disappointed in anything. You could be 100% wrong about what heaven is like, and you're going to think, wow, am I glad I was wrong, because this is a million times better. What makes heaven heaven? The presence of God who made him for himself, and you need the assurance that that is where you're going to spend eternity. How can you have that assurance? Back to the beginning of this message. Back to communion. If you will confess the Lord Jesus 
confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Don't wait until you have squandered your life in pursuit of pleasure before you make this decision. Give yourself to him today. Quick correction. When you give yourself to him, what you're really doing is acknowledging what he paid for you. He's already bought you, but you still have to close that deal. You still have to agree to it. Recognize him as your Lord. He will become your Savior. I'm going to pray a prayer. Short prayer to close this message. When I'm done praying, they're going to start singing. As soon as they start singing, if you want to make that decision, if you just want to make sure, come up here and let me pray with you. If it's not a matter of making sure, but just a matter of making that decision for the first time, come up here and let me pray for you. It's the most important thing you will ever pray about. It's the most important decision you will ever make. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, thank you for the assurance that you offer us that we can indeed spend eternity with you in your presence, free from sin, free from pain, free from all the things that, uh, that bring all the unpleasantness and ugliness to life. Increase our appetite, Lord, for your presence. Give us a taste of heaven. Father, it's my prayer that if there's anybody in the sound of my voice who has not made that decision, who is walking not even sure of what they believe, or walking knowing that they haven't made that decision that they've known for maybe years that they need to make, that you would grant them the wisdom to make it today, the courage to make it today, the humility to make it today. Do what only you can do, Lord, and reveal our desperate need for the only salvation you have provided, the work of Jesus Christ, and move in our midst today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you come. Let's go ahead and sing. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.